Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman. Today I'm joined by Daria Maffey, CEO of Latin America and Vice President of Global Hedging for Indigo. Daria, th- thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Paul. Thanks for inviting me. I just wanted to start off by asking, what are the, what are the um, one or two things that really differentiate the, the ag markets in South America compared to North America or, or, or Europe? So I, I think, Paul, that the, the, the main difference we need to put is that Latin America is a less mature market if you compare with U.S. and, and, and Europe. And just starting from, you know, if you look at the farmer's profile, you know, here in South America, you have third or fourth generation of farmers. While when you look at the other geographies, it's much more older than that. So agriculture is, I would say, relatively new compared with them. Uh, of course, there's also uh, big differences regarding political instability that these countries has and also economic turnarounds that once every 10 years you will you know some of the countries of here will face so, so that brings more instability to business as a whole said so i would say that ag has been one of the sectors that can be protected the most because it's global nature and because it's food so it has been able to grow year over year over the last decades. Another big difference that I would point it has to do with infrastructure. So these countries in South America are under development. And yes, it's true that they have been investing quite a lot of money in developing infrastructure, roads, trains, ports, but it still has lots of opportunities in front of them. And I would say that the third big differentiation I would make is how finance is sourced. And this is a little bit the root of that economic instability. But the way farmers access to financing, it's quite unique. So there's a big participation from commercials, you know, from big trading companies, big crop inputs companies, and, and, and also banks. And, and the way they finance, you know, they, they bundle three basic needs for farmers, which are crop inputs on one hand, grains, which is the product product they do, and financing. And and they bundle those three in order to grant that the farmer is receiving the proper crop inputs and that the farmer is being able to pay back in grains. So the barter system has become quite efficient in Latin America, and and it's a, a a distinction that this market has compared with others. I would say that those three are big differences, infrastructure, you know, a younger farmer, and also the way we transact grains and crop inputs. Uh, of course, embedded in the environment of a very different political and economic uh, situations. Mm. And, and to unpick that a little, so the barter system that you mentioned there is essentially you'd have one of these large um integrated ag companies coming along and offering the farmer both the inputs, financing for an offtake, right? Yeah. So, so, so basically, and, and I believe that, you know, this is a, a cause of the need of financing and the private sector stepping in, which I was mentioning in the question you asked me before. But, but in South America, it is very normal that both 
the three legs of crop inputs, financing and grain, are tied together. So the same company who is financing the farmer, instead of providing them money in order for them to go and buy things, they provide them the crop inputs. And the farmers, in order to pay, in the, instead of paying back in money, they pay with the grain. So, so you, you close the loop of having a better and simpler relationship within farmers where you can do the, the three legs in one and also provides a certain hedge for the farmers because he knows that with X amount of grain, he will be able to pay the crop inputs of, for his planting season and also take some risk out of the table. Because if you're just lending money to the farmer, you don't exactly know what is he doing with the money. And if he's buying crop inputs, which is the quality of the crop inputs, if you are also handling that, then it, it's, it's, you are, you know, it's a guarantee that you're providing good crop inputs and that he's going to pay you back in grain. So, so it works really well. It, it takes uh, the specificity that probably it has in US where you have the bank and you have the retailer and you have the great company, the three of them working together. So it, it takes a little bit of technicality, but all in all provides a very compelling solution for the farmer. And that's, I guess, points to another trend or change that has happened where, you know, you've certainly over the last 20 years, you started off with a, a small number of dominating big houses. Then you had that wave of new entrants, um, a lot of them backed by, um, Asian multinationals um, coming in in the in the late two thousands uh, on the tail end of that bull market, and really, I guess the last decade has been one of consolidation again, as a number of those organisations have have struggled um, or even um, retrenched. Yeah, so so so, so yes, yeah, you are exactly right about you know the Asian companies getting into South America, and and I would say. Many of them, especially the ones who were pioneering that entrance, struggling. Um, I think that, that there's a combination of things on that. I, I think that the ones who came too early, you know, the cultural change of this political instability, differences in taxes between states, uh, economic turnarounds once every five years in one of the geographies, those are, you know, really hard things to adapt and, 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 and they struggled and, you know, some of them came, tried, and, and then got away. I think that that has changed lately. I, I think that the, the companies that are coming right now, especially from Asia, they are more savvy on how they, they do that approach. Uh, of course, you have some of them that succeed, succeed and some that don't, but, but I, I, I see them much more uh, smart when they are doing the penetration. Uh, regarding concentration, uh, I do agree with you. I, I think it's 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 a little bit different if you talk about Argentina, where yes, it is much more concentrated. Brazil still has some some diversity. Okay, Brazil has a huge domestic consumption. Brazil has some of these big retailers that you know made it to to become big companies, uh, and also have such this kind of cops cooperative systems and some mid, mid-sized players that, you know, uh, has been able to, to, to maintain a 
profitable or a decent business here. So, so regarding concentration, of course, you have the, the biggest ABCDs. Now you have Kofco in, in, in both countries, in Argentina and in Brazil. Uh, but I, I see Brazil with much more diversity than, than other countries. Not like US, but more likely in that regard. Yeah, I remember an individual describing to me recently down there that uh, doing building an ag business in Latin America was like playing on hard mode. Um, which I think sums yeah. it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess perhaps given that, you know, it is actually a really complicated part of the world to do business just from, as you mentioned yourself, from you've got, you know, quite um, labyrinthine tax codes, you've got infrastructure challenges, you, all manner of things. Um, what, and perhaps talking more broadly, you know, Indigo's mission is to um, it's, a, it's a, a technology business rather than an ag business, but its focus is on transforming the agricultural supply chains. How do you think technology um, can change or support um, agriculture in Latin America, but also more broadly as well? So, so I, I think that technology will provide ag the next generation, the next you know really step in the growth of of the whole value chain. Uh, I strongly believe that. That's that's basically why I'm at Indigo today. But 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 if you think about technology, not only helping farmers to produce better crops, uh, but also to produce exactly what demand needs and to find the correct path or the how to connect that demand with the supply, uh, then you can believe that a different kind of grain system could be done. And, and it, this could be, you know, sound a little bit crazy and utopic with today's reality. But but if you really think that technology can make that connection scalable and at a low cost then it might be that you can find something really interesting there and i'm not saying that you know supply chain will be supply chain will be totally different and that you know the assets will not worth anymore and you that you will not need a ship to in order to put the soybeans and, and ship it to china i'm not saying that i'm saying how are you going to connect those and and how can you bring scalability plus efficiency all together uh, if that can be done, then in my mind, we, we will enter into how we align incentives in order to really send the right signal to the farmer to produce what the demand exactly wants. Uh, and this could sound like, a okay, yeah, he's talking about a niche or a specialty. I'm not talking about specialty. I'm talking about doing that at, at a mass scale. And, and that's kind of the the vision that I think that could, technology could bring to the table. I think that it has already been proven that in productivity, technology can help. Uh, it has been proven or companies are trying more and more to use you know, digitalization in order to take decisions, in order to trade, in order to manage logistics. So, so those are things that are getting sooner rather than later, but are getting into our systems. Well, when, when you can connect all of those, I think you will have a different industry than what we have today. With regards to 
digitalization. Um, I think something that's becoming quite clear from the coronavirus pandemic is it's not necessarily creating new trends, but accelerating existing ones. Have you seen that go on in 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 the ag space globally and and in in your region in Latin America? Yeah, Paul, definitely. I think that as we were discussing the trend of digitalization, the trend of new technology was already there. And if something COVID-19 what has done is accelerate that. And I think that it has different kind of looking at that. On one hand, you know, farmers and companies were forced to explore new things. Um, I think that also brings something which I find really interesting to industry, which is that it's okay to live with some imperfection in order to move forwards. So, so I've seen many companies that did have some projects of technology or apps or interactions that they were working on that, but they were not that ready yet. And they were forced to launch that into the market. So, so, so being able to live with imperfections and correcting those imperfections while you are running, it's something that it's really new to the market. So, so on one hand, acceleration of this trend, but on, on another hand, some companies also trying things that would have not tried if they were not under COVID. Mm. Um, I think that when you look at ag, uh, the, the, one of the single characteristics of is that it's a very relationship-based business where trust and many of the core values are represented in the one-to-one relationship. And, and that it's a change that you know COVID has forced to overcome. So how can you maintain those values? How can you keep the trust, but now with social distance? And, and that's a big challenge that is in front of everybody. Uh, and yes, technology helps, but still there should be a transition between one place and the other one that we'll see how you know companies and people are going to cover that. Mm. And I think if you look at perhaps, say, markets which are, are more digitalized so I, I look at say the north american gas and power markets or even the european ones um actually what happens is a lot of the basic activities become automated or, or you know price discovery is now very easy it just elevates the relationship the uh, requirements of an organization's um, salespeople to interact at a higher level a more consultative level um, about um, the the options and the the marketplace that the client faces. Yeah, t- totally agree on that. You know, I think that you know everybody was invited to the party. Now everybody was forced to join the party, which is a little bit different. Uh, and you know, I was looking at some numbers on one work that was presented a couple of days ago, where uh, in Brazil before COVID. 30% of the farmers were interacting digitally in order to, to buy stuff or to sell stuff, to, to interact commercially, which 30% when you compare with other industries seems to be a low number. On the other hand, if you compare on how that number looked like one year ago, it has increased a lot. And the question I was wondering is, okay, how that number would look like after COVID? Okay, And, and, and I'm sure that it's bigger than 30% if it was 30% previous COVID. 
The other interesting part is how would you define that digital connection? And, and in that specific study, a WhatsApp conversation between a farmer and a sales rep was considered digital. And I will question that. Okay. So, 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 so I don't know if, if that, you know, yes, it is something digital. Yes, you're covering the need, but that's not sustainable nor scalable. So, so, so I think that, you know, we will need to start digging deeper into what exactly we are meaning by saying digital. And yes, it can cover a need during COVID, but it's not the base of the digital future that you think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talking of technology and transforming the commodity world, I know the other aspect to, to your business is using, in this case, biotechnology. You know, the idea, as far as I understand it, is that actually with the advent of um, genetic modification, um, you know, not all commodities are, are, are the same, right? There's this, this now a a move away from fungibility, you can, you know, they, there would be a, a particular wheat that now ha- contains an enzyme or a particular uh, strain that it usually uses less water. I know that your organization has worked on. Um, and, and we see that, I guess, we, potential there, for example, in mining as well, where you know, people start to care more about the origin of the any particular metal in their iPhone. Um, you know, they'd rather buy cobalt potentially from an organization that mines it in North America than from potentially West Africa if 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 those conditions aren't um doesn't meet their particular ESG values for example um do you is that a, a something that you think that we'll we will increasingly see the kind of the 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 branding the 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 labeling of individual crops that have different qualities that will you know, get tracked through the supply chain? Yeah, I, I, t- I totally see that happening. I think that, you know, the consciousness, you know, people getting conscious about, you know, what is happening to the world, the environment, what do people eat? You know, it, it has increased notably in the last couple of years. It's here to stay. And if something is going to keep growing, so so understanding how food is produced, where it's produced, which are the properties that that food has is something that you know is going to increase even more. I also think that the need of doing things differently from the better environment and for the better wealth of everybody, I think it's important to to have it in the radar and it's going to be there as well. And if something technology digital that we have spoke about, but also microbiology has the potential to play a very important role in that okay so yes if you can you know you can grow rice using less water it's super important if you can use less nitrogen it's super important and and it's something that it's not only important but the consumer will demand that more and more so the enforcement for farmers to produce something different and for technology you can say digital or biotechnology in order to help to make that transformation. It's, it's, it's the path that I think we will see more and more. It's technology that enables us to track that particular batch of whatever commodity is through the supply chain, whether it's satellites to track the, the, the planting, it's some kind of tag, digital tags that track it, track these products movements. And, and ultimately 
you know the the producer can command a higher price and the consumer is is having a particular need need met that that isn't being currently yeah i, I the way i look at this is i think technology could make or could help commodities be less commodities okay so 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 i think that having the common language of this is a commodity that everything is the fa- is the same and it goes all in the same place i think th- those things were super useful in order to build the market and in order to you know to have some common language around that i think that if with technology at a very low cost you can identify different different properties over the commodities then you can start you know providing the exact need with the exact product and that is something that you've seen in other industries that 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 con, when you can do that match you know the value created it's very significant yeah so so, so yes i think i think that will happen and i think that's something that you know we have the privilege you know hc to sort of interact with all the different um value chains within the commodity sector and you can see how some some particular commodities are much more um, technologically advanced. I want a better description in in how they're traded, and others aren't. And others are pioneering things. You know, you, you know, pioneering that decommodification of the commodities world. Um, you know, and that's part I think of the what's fascinating to me about these conversations is that you know there's a lot of um, opportunity for organisations to see how other commodities are handled and, and, and take some of the best best from it. Um, we, we, we previously had discussions even on the HC Insider podcast about the impact of um, the trade wars. Um, you know, a, a right, we've already mentioned today about the um, increased number of Asian-backed um, trading organizations setting up in Brazil can you talk a little bit about Brazil in particular or Latin America more general or South America more generally, um, the, the, the change in the nature of the trade with, with Asia that's gone on over the last few years? Because, you know, that seems to be a fundamental shift that's happened, um, not only in, in how those commodities are flowing, but also um, in the types of institutions that are um, intermediating that, that trade. Yeah. So we we went from a totally dream to a very concrete question. I like that. We we went from the earth, you know, <laughs> from the sky to the earth in yeah. one second. And, and, <laughs> so, so that's, that's that's my style. Sorry. Sorry. So so here are my two cents on that. I, I think that so, so so the fit that China and Brazil has it's it's not something that you know is discovered today. Okay. So so, so from a geographical standpoint and how Brazil produces and what Brazil produces and the infrastructure and the consumption that Brazil has makes a very nice fit on complementary China. Okay, uh, What had been happening, especially this last year, is basically that one of the Chinese partners, which is US, you know, is not getting that along. And, and, and I think that Brazil has done a great job on taking that opportunity. I think... Uh, it's something that it was not promoted by Brazil. It was basically Brazil was the participant, the third one in in, in that dispute, and 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 I think that you know th- that had made that 
the relationship, commercial relationships in ag, but also in, in other spaces like, you know, energy or infrastructure between Brazil and, and, and China has become really strong. I, I was looking at, at one of those pictures that they show the map and all the vessels that are, you know, in the, in the ocean. And it's like a straight line that you see from Brazil to China at these days. Uh, that was also there before, but of course, you know, having, you know, the optionality to buy from US or China and, you know, this commercial war that China and US are having, you know, has strengthened quite a lot the, 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 the Brazil option. Okay. Uh, I think that's something that will stay. Eventually, so are China and US will solve their problems or not. But, you know, there's a lot of fit in between a producer of food like Brazil and a consumer of food like China and, and, and how to, to, to think about future things and future businesses together. That's also why one of the reasons why, you know, big Chinese company has, you know, tried to come here and already came. And, and you see Chinese companies not only trying to manage a, a share of the grain, but also getting into, you know, crop inputs distribution, crop inputs produce production, uh, even farming in certain times. Okay. In Brazil, it's not possible to do it, but, but it is in scope. So, so, Granting food and granting secure the supply chain is it's something that it's it's an important variable for for Asian countries and 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 that's very proven. No, we've definitely seen that, and I think we've spoken again about this on 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 this podcast about the um, you know there's there's a, an interesting dynamic going on at the moment between uh, a marketplace that's been dominated from the early two thousands by independent organizations to now a, a, a shift towards national champions. Yeah. It would be also interesting to see how, you know, after COVID, all those big nations are taking decisions and which are the decisions are taking. Um, I think that, you know, probably globalization is going to be less global or not. Uh, and I think that, you know, Commodities, and especially ag commodities, which is basically food, is the first variable that you know you think about when you need to take political decisions. Okay, so I think you know something to think about moving forwards: how governments will react, how governments and companies will interact, and 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 which are the policies and decisions that are going to be made. So we're in the middle of a pandemic. We've already discussed a fair bit about how COVID-19 is perhaps accelerating some trends. What are you seeing on the ground in um, South America as sort of immediate changes or impacts that you're seeing happen as a result of the lockdown and, and pa the pandemic in general? Um, so, so let's split between Argentina and Brazil here for a while, I think that the way both countries has taken the COVID as a problem, it has been very different. While in Argentina, they went to lockdown very fast and, and, and they are securing people. Uh, Brazil has a much more open kind of approach. Uh, basically, when you look at the infected people and the death, you know, are, are showing that one country has been totally conservative and the other one was not almost paying too much attention. I think that 
there was a lot of alignment among politicians and, 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 and people in the Argentina and case in Brazil was not there. So you were you know, showing very clear that there was not political alignment on decisions. On the other hand, both countries will suffer economical impacts, you know, very deep in Argentina, not as deep because Brazil was doing better, but you will see, you know, economic impact of, of this, you know, stop that COVID put. I think that taking politics and, you know, the real economic a little bit aside, I, I think that, that that will change the dynamic of everybody, you know, at the daily jobs and family and how we, the dynamic of, of people, you know, as a whole, um, you know, starting from home office and, and how home office has worked. I think that overall, uh, the, my experience, it has been better than expected. So when we evaluate how Indigo is doing, I would say that we are working 98, 99% of what we were working, you know, with the office open. Uh, I think the home office has proven and has taken and removed some of the fears from people. And, and I think that that will have a lot of, impact on how you think about future office, future dynamics, future structures of the company. I think that there's a, a new world to discover in that regards. Uh, I think that the importance of technology and having good connections, connections of internet, good, you know, uh, computer, good, good telephone. I think that that's also something that has been proven that it's, it's needed and, and will not go back. Uh, I think there's a bunch of there's a big challenge between how you keep people motivated, how you measure performance, how you uh, interact with people without being present, and that's a challenge that we will see how it goes moving forwards. Uh, and I think that will be a very exciting moments to come when when this is over. Yeah, um, I think the yeah. You know, it's fascinating. One of the questions, or there's two questions that seem to be on everyone's mind at the moment when when talking to us. One is, um, you know, what's your working from home policy, or what are, what are our competitors working from home policy to start off with? Um, and secondly, is you know how are things going? Obviously, what's the productivity level like? And I think that uh, we've all been surprised at how effective many roles are working from home, um, and you know, actually, you said it yourself, the, the, you know, we've been forced to, to do this, but the, it has removed or empowered lots of us to realize that actually, um, if you focus on productivity, many people are actually thriving in, in the new type of environment. Um, secondly, I think those organizations, uh, to the point of motivation, I think what becomes really vital then is an organization's culture and values. Um, you know, how strong an organization is in its identity is ultimately how well people perform, whether sat in an office together or whether sat at home or sat in an airport lounge or wherever they are in the future. Um, if you provide them the, the right technology to be able to, to work, um, it's all about, you know, identity and values then. And, and I think increasingly organizations are going to have to come up with the compelling reasons for people to, to join them because the result of this pandemic is that the nature of work, I think, is going to change. And those organizations that, um, you know, offer more, more attractive working practices 
you know, are going to get the best talent. Um, it, we've even had discussions within Inside HC about, you know, we need our office environment to compete now with our home environment. So therefore, our office environment needs to improve um, to, to do that. Um, so I think it's going to be a fascinating uh, future. Um, and I think that it, whilst, it, you know, the utter tragedy of what's has gone on, what is currently going on, um, you know, is is not lost on anyone. Um, and our thoughts are with you right now in down there in Latin America as the epicenter shifts um to the to your continent. Um, you know, the some of the some of the outcomes of this I think are going to be beneficial for for people and 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 the planet itself as well when we talk about um changes to people's habits. Um all around um so um yeah i i think i think there's there's a paradigm that needs to be break which is you know i agree on, on the values and culture the the point would be how you can transmit that and and, and the the old recipe for that was okay let's do a you know one-to-one let's do one training you know physical training let's get along together let's do an offside where we all together you know transmit that culture and and, and so how can we now do that without those tools and with new ones, uh, so that 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 would be interesting to see how how it evolves. Yeah, I, I don't want to sound like an like an old dog here, but you know, even for me, uh, it has been a difference between going to the office every day and not going to the office. And I don't think I will go back to the office every day if everything comes back to normal, whatever it is normal. But but uh, you know, this helped me to 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 lose fear about not being there. And, and I think that, you know, if that is doing to someone that is 45 years old, you know, I, I cannot believe what could happen to people who is 20. So it, it is really interesting. Yeah. I, and, and exciting, right? Um, yeah. I think that's my, my general feeling about the, the, that the, the future of work. Um, I think that uh, you're quite right. The, the, you know, some of the stigma, some of the fear, some of the, you know, the concern about, you know, air quotes working from home has just radically changed overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, well, it's been an absolute um, pleasure talking to you, Dario. Um, I hope you stay uh, safe and, and well down there. And, um, you know, I think it's uh, for, for people who uh, are interested, I think your website is, uh, your company's website is indigoag.com. Um, and you know, there's a number of case studies up there of fascinating things that your organization is doing around the world, um, in the ag value chains, um, which I guess include a, a mixture of digitalization as well as, um, biotechnology. Um, you know, and I, I think of a number of analogous organizations that we know and work with on the metals and the, the energy side. So I'm, I, you know, I think it's a, um, a fascinating space and, and one that will um, have a growing presence um, in the, in the market itself. Um, so thank you very much for, for joining us. No, you're welcome. It has been really a pleasure to have this discussion. And, you know, you know that, that I like to, to, to discuss these topics and, and we did it in a very friendly way. Let's, let's hope for a better you know, upcoming months after COVID gets out. Thank you for listening to the HC Insider podcast. To find out more, go to hcinsider.global.